Welcome to Back to the Future, a limited podcast series where we speak to startups revving to go in a post-pandemic world. In this episode of our Back to the Future series, we will be speaking with Jonathan Ng, uh, founder of Sinfu Tech, which stands for Singapore Food Technology. Now, Jonathan's firm is pioneering an innovative way of making alcoholic beverage out of waste product from tofu processing, in what has been aptly termed as from waste to taste. It's a hallmark of what entrepreneurs around the region are doing in the circular economy, where waste products are not only recycled, but in fact, upcycled. Now, without further ado, let's bring Jonathan on board. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting. Well, Jonathan, you started Sinful Tech in 2018 uh, based on a very interesting discovery on the turning waste from tofu manufacturing process into alcoholic uh, beverage. Can you walk us through the discovery and how it prompted you to launch this company? Sure. Uh, well, I was introduced to this technology actually through my friend, uh, Jian Yong. Um, so we met during JC and he's the inventor of this technology. So um, as he was telling me, many technologies die in the lab and he wanted to commercialize his technology and uh, he needed help uh, in the commercialization aspect. Uh, and that's where uh, I came in. So uh, we met up many times, you know, when he was inventing other technologies as well. And the drinks didn't really taste that good. Um, but when I tasted the drink, I was quite surprised that um, it was made from uh, a, a very special material and it, re- it really tasted great, um, unlike the other previous drinks that he let me taste. So it has an advantage of being sustainable uh, and having a lower cost of production as well. So with um, the taste and price being covered, and, and I feel that's the most important in the F&B industry, I thought it was a good opportunity to take up the technology uh, and help him to commercialize. Uh, and I think that's what prompted me to to launch the company, to do something sustainable, uh, as well as something that is um, profitable. I see. You mentioned that your your co-partner, Jian uh, Yong, um, you know, said something very apt. A lot of technology died in the lab. And uh, this obviously, you know, uh, pertains to some, some, some factors, including how some simply don't taste as good. Uh, but what other yeah. factors are there to, to, you know, basically kill the technology, even though it might be a viable technology in the long run, do you think? Sure. Uh, so I think there's a lot of cost involved uh, in terms of R&D. Uh, nowadays, I think in, in even in research institutes, they spend a lot of money um, and time to really, um, you know, make all this technology uh, ready for commercialization. And I think that's what took us a lot of time as well. We took about two to three years um, to really put the technology from a lab scale all the way to a commercialization scale. So that took a lot of fine tuning, a lot of, um, you know, data collection. And I think um, that's what um, actually prompted a lot of technologies to die in the lab because uh, there are no commercialization partners out there to help them push their products or their technology into the market. Um, Well, on the other hand, there are also technologies that are a little bit far-fetched. So they cost Mm -hmm. a lot of money and they do very little. So it's not as efficient. Uh, And I think that's, that's why a lot of the times all these technologies die in the lab. Um, so I'm, I'm quite thankful that we have a technology that allows us to utilize 100% of the waste um, that we collect. And I think that's, uh, I think the key defining factor of why, um, you know, it is, it makes sense for us to use this technology at a commercial level. I see. Interesting. Well, I guess uh, market forces at the end of the day, uh, as you can, you know, summarize perhaps, you know, uh, is the one that kill, kill the technology in the lab. 
Um, but, you know, yes. mo- moving from there, I know uh, you've spent the last two two years or so laying the groundwork uh, for for introducing this product uh, from from earlier conversation that I had with you before the show. Um, yeah. Mentioned that you are about to launch a product. Um, you know, it also mentioned over the last two years, not only perfecting the the, the product, we also spent a lot of market research uh, in terms of guiding what your approach will be uh, going ahead. Uh, what what kind of demographics? What kind of which countries? Which region are you focusing on in terms of this launch? Sure, uh, I think that's a really great question. So I think for the past two to three years, we were really focusing on the technology and not so much on the product itself. Um, and we have so far really focused on spreading the technology through licensing. So we do have some licensing partners overseas, um, but because of the COVID situation right now, we are unable to go over and do the tech technology transfer for them, uh, which is a pity. But at the same time, we realized that uh, it, it allows us to come up with an opportunity of creating a model in Singapore so that potential licensees can come over to understand what the technology is about and to uh, really see for themselves the demand of our technolo- our products, of our technology in the market. So um, for Sachi, we have just started efforts to launch it in Singapore actually last year. And we realized that there were synergies in creating a model um, you know, for, for the licensees. Um, so we are targeting really um, for Sachi at social drinkers, you know, um, especially uh, 20 to year, twenty to 40 year old women uh, who really drinks occasionally. I think a lot of men as well, we drink occasionally. We really don't like, um, you know, the, fuss, the fizziness of beer or the bitterness of beer. And really for wines, uh, there's this astringent, you know, they call it the siap taste uh, when you have wine. Um, so we want something very easy to drink. And that's why a lot of people go for cocktails. They go for something really, um, really smooth, uh, which really costs a lot, um, you know, when you when you want something special like that. And we want to make it affordable for people um, to have a very um, pleasant drinking experience. And that's why I think Sachi was introduced into the market. I see. Hopefully, we're yeah, right at the turning point where people can go out and socialize more again. Uh, you did Definitely. mention, the obviously, pandemic put a bit of a spanner in the works uh, in terms of the product launch cycle, etc. What are the difficulties uh, did you face uh, over, over the last two years in terms of just getting this product uh, ready and getting this product, you know, um, launchable? Yeah, uh, I think that's that's a really good question. So in terms of the difficulties, I think there are, there are two folds, right? So one is on the technology front, right? Um, so to really convert the technology from a lab skill where we started with, uh, you know, 700 ml to a, to, a, to, to one liter all the way to a thousand liters and beyond um, you know and in china we are aiming at 35,000 liters uh, per batch you know it is a very vastly different um kind of uh, data we have to collect um, in terms of how the fermentation works you know what kind of adjustments we have to make um, to the waste material and the base material um, for the fermentation to work so um we have overcome that uh, in terms of you know Trying to uh, talk to ex, uh, trying to talk to experts, and I'm I'm really uh, quite pleasantly surprised that a lot of the experts in Singapore actually has given us a lot of help uh, in terms of giving their opinions on you know, what 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 are some things that we do wrong or what are some things that could work for our technology, right? And on the other hand, I think in terms of business um, regulations in Singapore, especially, is very stringent in alcohol, right? So we are being seen as uh, you know a vice in Singapore, you know, same as uh, you know having tobacco, drugs. Uh, arms and I think it is it is especially so in Singapore where we want to regulate um, you know the use of alcohol or the consumption of alcohol and I, I really understand that but the problem with that is um, you know it 
really um, pushes us to um, get get more time in because we need more time for the regulators to understand where are we, what kind of category we are. So we had to come up with our own HS code. We had to come up with our own category um, and customs had to put us in a different scheme uh, for us to be able to produce um, the product in large scale. So I think uh, there were a lot of, um, you know, talking to a lot of different agencies to sort of um, settle all these issues where you know, it's always a first case for us because uh, we're doing something new. And I think um, that, that took a lot of time and a lot of resources as well. Uh, but I'm glad all these have been solved over the past two years uh, with the help of our friends at uh, ESG and MTI. Uh, and they are greatly supportive of our efforts to uh, you know, create new technologies and products for the market. I see. That's interesting. Well, focusing on, you know, uh, being a startup, being a innovative, you know, uh, half breaker, essentially in Singapore, you mentioned some of the difficulties, especially pertaining to the, you know, alcoholic beverage, having to create your own hatches code and all that. But, you know, as an ecosystem as a whole, taking sort of a step back, how has being in Singapore helped? I mean, obviously you mentioned some of the hindrances potentially, but how has it helped uh, your, your launch, for instance? So I think Singapore is a really great position, right? So we are kind of the bridge between the West and the East. And I see Singapore really, um, you know, as a place that is really suited for what the government is aiming for. The government is really looking at us being the regional food hub uh, of Asia. And I think um, it's it's a really apt place to be in, right? Because we can be in a position where we can really, um, you know, commercialize or improve on the technology and then spread the technology overseas um, to the Westerns and the, and the Eastern uh, worlds. Um, so I think we are in a very prime position in that aspect, right? Um, and at the same time, there have been food, food incubators uh, recently popping up um, to help all these food startups and food tech startups. So uh, one startup, uh, one incubator that uh, we are actually under is Innovate360. So Innovate360 is started by um, Cheng Yuhing, um, which is a a long-running sugar company in Singapore. Um, and they have been really, really helpful in uh, getting grants and funds, as well as uh, mentor support and uh, introduction to their network of um, you know, food suppliers, as well as F&B uh, retail outlets out there. So um, we have gotten a lot of feedback from them uh, in terms of um, you know, um, technology support, in terms of commercialization support, marketing, um, and many others. And I'm really, really grateful for um, uh, John Ching and his team at Innovate360 uh, into helping so many incubators, um, you know, at their facility or even outside of their facility to strive in the, in the food tech industry. So I think really, you know, the, the region or the food tech um, scene in Singapore as a whole over the past two to three years has been booming. And a lot of people have been coming into the space. And I see that as a really great, um, Kind of synergistic um, opportunity where everyone can work together to improve on the food circular economy as well as uh, food technology in general in Singapore. The role is in, of incubator, as you mentioned, is is, is very interesting. Um, beyond that, I think uh, you know a lot of startups here. I, I hear this from startups. I don't know whether it's right or wrong. I I, I want to hear your opinions on that. Sure. A lot of startups here say, okay, on one hand we get all this help from not just incubators but a lot of active support from the government in terms of yeah. grants, in terms of the basically generating the environment overall. On the flip side, the cost here is also very high. So um, yes. what what do you think about sort of the balance in the, in, in, uh, in the risk reward in the sense of, you know, launching a startup here, say, versus, say, your peers in uh, other parts of the region? 
Sure. Uh, I think th these are great questions, right? It's always a trade-off of, uh, you know, convenience, funds, um, you know, where to get your resources in terms of labor, in terms of your materials as well as your um, equipment. But I think um, the government in Singapore has been really supportive, especially Enterprise Singapore. So uh, personally, at our company, we receive over half a million in terms of funding from ESG alone. And they have given us a lot of support in terms of our licensing overseas. So they have got global offices all around the world and they really um, you know connect us with their connections uh, of network overseas where we can look for potential licensees who are interested in our technology and allow the proliferation of our technology overseas so i think singapore is uh, is is prime in that position where i don't think a lot of countries have that kind of uh, capability of global offices of funding uh, to really help you proliferate but if you're talking about production in Singapore, definitely I don't think it's a, it's a very you know, easy game to play in Singapore because one, land is scarce, labor is really expensive, uh, and raw materials are not cheap as well because everything has to be imported. So I think uh, if you're talking about uh, you know, working on technology, uh, improving on your technology, collecting data, you know, getting funding, proliferation of technology, I think Singapore is in a very prime position. But if you're talking about production, you're talking about fighting regulation, I think it's a little bit hard because, um, you know, as a small country, we don't have the right amount of resources um, in, in, in Singapore to allow for that to happen. And that's why you see a lot of companies um, having their HQ here, but production overseas, uh, maybe in some Asian countries like Malaysia, Vietnam. So I think it makes sense uh, for that to happen. But at the same time, uh, you know, it is... Prior, it is key for us to really focus our resources in terms of um, you know tech innovation in Singapore because I think um, there has been a lot of support uh, given to us and I feel that um, you know that's one of the key factors that um, uh, allowed us to um, grow until this day. Interesting. It sounds like the you're effectively pursuing you know if you if you will a hub and spoke approach in the sense that you know hub is going to always be Singapore. That's an R and D hub. Uh, but yeah. you know, you mentioned licensing a few times throughout the course of this conversation. Sounds like you know, effectively going to be producing it elsewhere, involving external partners and uh, perhaps in the distribution pipeline as well, uh, very specific yes, to your yes. product. But I guess a lot of industries can probably uh, you know uh, learn from that as well. Now, uh, Jonathan, yes, I wanted to shift gears a bit. You know, uh, to yes. you as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a serial entrepreneur. On top of that, uh, I read that you've launched multiple businesses before this, including uh, dealing with exotic pets. Uh, maybe you can walk, walk <laughs> us through some of these uh, businesses that you, you've had. Sure. Um, so when I was younger, um, I've always had a, had weird hobbies. So, uh, you know, exotic pets, bicycles, watches, um, you know, very old man hobbies. Um, but I think, um, you know, the entrepreneur in me wanted I, at that point now, I didn't have much pocket money. So I really wanted to own a lot of these exotic animals, right? And that's when I really started into getting into um, the, the exotic fish or exotic uh, aquatic animal business. So it includes like uh, things like stingrays, you know, exotic um, platinum, um, you know, fishes as well. So um, genetic mutations. Uh, so so things like that um and even like uh you know i i've i've got into um radius sliders as well i think singapore um is is a place where you know even though um a lot of species are not allowed here uh, but there are still a lot of very special species out there that you have you 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 you'll never see in a normal aquarium and i think that's what uh interests me in, into starting these businesses and um you know 
it, it also has really great margins, right? So as a young man, 18 years old, you could you could make maybe five or six digits from 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 this kind of trading, uh, which is really really cool. But of course, you lose a lot as well because uh, some of these features die. <laughs> so so it's a high risk, high reward kind of thing. And uh, you know, I, I lost I lost a lot of money through that that as well. And that's why um, you know I I moved on to data analytics and you know um, the other businesses that that I've, I've uh, stuck with, uh, which involve lower, um, you know, uh, investment costs. Um, so more, more in terms of, um, you know, efforts in terms of sales, in terms of building a business itself, and not so much into uh, putting in money to buy stuff and sell. Yeah. See, so you learn, learn by doing effectively your entrepreneurial uh, path so far. Yeah. One thing that struck me when I yeah, yeah. tried to, you know, yeah. sorry. So far, it's been like that. Um, well, I think I think the turning point was in school, right? Um, especially in university, I was still contemplating whether I should take a job. Um, but when I when I went for a job, I realized maybe that's not the place I want to be. Um, I I cannot do something mundanely over and over again. I think you know that is not something that I strive for. Uh, you know, when when I look for in a job, um, and I feel like a lot of jobs actually you have you have to give. A lot of control to your bosses and your company and if you don't have a good boss even if you have a good job and good salary i don't think you'll be happy so um instead of giving um you know that kind of control to other people i prefer to have that control with myself and that's why i started my entrepreneur uh you know entrepreneurship really really young um to get me away from that 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 eight to five job that i've always dread i see that's actually my next question because i I read from your one of the interviews you've given uh, that one, one one the main catalyst why you jump into entrepreneurship was the fact that uh, you received a bad grade from a professor uh, just because you didn't agree with what he said. <laughs> so the element of yeah, taking yeah, control, yeah. as so, you mentioned, I can identify with that. Yes. Yeah, what else yeah. I think many of us. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, so I think many of us uh, experience that in, in our lifetime, right? So um, you do a really good job, but your boss don't really, um, you know, recognize your efforts, okay? And then that's it, right? You don't get recognized for your efforts. Um, and it's the same for university, right? You do a really good job, you know, you, you have really good grades, but the professor doesn't like you. Um, he doesn't give you a good grade in terms of uh, class participation, in terms of your, your, your group report. Um, and your projects, and then you get a really, really bad grade, and it screws up the rest of your your year, right? And I think that's really the turning point, um, you know, about control. Uh, and that's why I I I really hated that. I I thought, you know, there's there's no way I'm I'm going to let someone else, uh, other than myself, decide whether or not you know the efforts I put in is enough or not. So mm. I think that's that's really the turning point, like you said. Yeah, I see. Apart from all these very interesting stories, what would you say to young Singaporeans, indeed young people in general, uh, believe they have a great idea and want to run with it? Oftentimes feel they don't get the support from family and friends. For instance, I, I, I think you probably have had this experience before, like they probably tell you, this is so risky, why don't you just go out and get a job? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's right, right? So uh, when I was in university, I think that's what happened to me. Um, my parents really wanted me to get a job. Um, you know, they are all salespeople themselves and they earn great money. Um, and they've, they've always thought that, you know, running a business involves really, really um, high amount of risk. Um, and I, I agree with that. 
And that's why when I was in university, I tried to um, start my own business. So I have a business um, of data analytics and web design that I started in my university years. Um, and then I slowly expanded it to, to Taiwan as well. And I wanted to prove to my parents that, you know, I, I didn't have to get a job um, outside and I could earn more than uh, the job that was offered to me uh, before I graduated. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of parents would, would really uh, deter a lot of their, their kids from going into entrepreneurship. But I think if you are a person um, that, that wants to live with passion and you don't mind the risk, um, you know, go for it. You know, if you have a great idea, just just run with it. You know, you have to try somewhere, you know. Um, but if you're a little bit more risk adverse, you know, get a job and then try this at your, your own free time. You know, um, you, you don't want to, you know, be in your 30s and 40s and then you have two kids and then you want to try this. I, I don't think you have that opportunity uh, anymore. So I think if you really want to try, um, I mean, there's, there's no better time than to try when you have that idea, when you have that passion. Yeah, the 30s or 40s with two kids, precisely the demographics I'm in. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> Well, no, 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 no. If you really want to start something, you, you probably can, right? Uh, but I think you have to take a route uh, with less risk, probably, you know, uh, starting with your weekends and stuff. I think a lot of people are doing that as well. Um, but I don't think it is a feasible thing to really just quit and focus. Uh, I think your, your, you know, your wife's going to kill you and, you know, probably going to murder me as well. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit uh, of, of that situation. Okay, well now uh, stepping away from from this uh, wife killing me conversation. Now back to your venture uh, and pipeline, uh, Jonathan. What are the areas uh, is Sinful Tech looking at now? Obviously, the focus has been turning you know this uh, tofu manufacturing waste into alcoholic beverage. But what are the areas you know that hopefully won't get killed in the lab, like you talked about earlier? Sure, sure. So. Uh... After, after we've worked on this technology, we realized that a lot of the um, you know, food waste in Singapore or around the world um, has still a lot of issues and a lot of potential. And uh, we have been constantly looking out for food waste um, you know, to, to work on. And some of the projects that we are currently uh, working on, I mean, I can't really tell you right now because we are still filing for patents, uh, but it, they involve really um, um, you know, the, 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 the top three kind of uh, waste in Singapore. So namely, um, it's brewer spent grain, uh, which is um, you know, the, the spent grain from brewing beer. Um, next is okara, which is um, basically uh, soybean pulp from um, tofu making or from soybean milk making. And lastly, it's spread waste, right? So I think a lot of these waste um, have had a lot of research done, but still not efficient or still not, um, you know, um, really, really um, efficient enough at a commercial level. So I think uh, we, we are still putting a lot of emphasis into this waste and how to utilize them. Um, and I think that's, that's um, some of the things that we're working on in our next few technologies. So yeah, I mean, uh, stay tuned to that. And I think uh, you hear a lot more from uh, Symphotech from now on. Interesting. Well, I wanted to touch on the this circular economy, right? Upcycling yeah. waste yeah. products instead of just recycling or just, you know, really flush it down the pipe. Um, how much of uh, that you think uh, will be featuring into your marketing campaign? I mean, another way of asking this question is, you know, globally we have heard that the awareness in green technology, awareness is having to, you know, do something about climate change, uh, I think has, has picked up uh, because partly because of the pandemic. Do you agree with that? And uh, do, you, do you see that being a big, big feature of your marketing campaign? Well, well I do agree that, uh, you know, 
we have to place more emphasis on circular economy, um, you know, and really focus on um, upcycling waste. I think that is something that uh, everyone has a part to do. Um, but um, am I going to put that as part of my marketing? I don't think so. Well, there is a there's a stark difference between you know wanting to be sustainable and wanting to eat something that is from waste. So. Um, it's it's very hard to convince someone to, to to say hey eat this you know I made this from food scraps, uh, you know nobody in the right mind would, would want to do that right, um, but at the same time um, there there are trends um, pointing to that direction right so um, especially in the FMB industry on the alcoholic space um, the three big trends that we are looking at is at health you know people want to be more healthy so that's why we have the rise of uh, zero calorie drinks like Coke Zero. You know, um, rise in bottled water sales, you know, rise in tea sales, uh, which are zero, zero calories, right? So healthier drinks. Second is really sustainability. So they are looking at a sustainability lifestyle. And lastly is that premiumization. But if you look at it, right, it is really counterintuitive. How can you be sustainable yet premium at the same time? So it 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 can be separate, but it is kind of, kind of interlinked, I, I feel, right? So if you look at sustainability, people want to feel like they're in the sustainability lifestyle, right? I, I want to feel like I'm sustainable as well. But would you pay $2 more for your Coke Zero if Coke Zero told you it's more sustainable? I, you probably wouldn't, right? So it is more of like, I want to be part of the sustainability, sustainability lifestyle, but I don't want to pay extra. I want to feel like I'm eating uh, food scraps. So... Um, just give me that lifestyle, uh, do your sustainability thing, make it premium and make it healthy and I'll buy it from you. So I think these are all separate issues, right? So when we push it out to um, uh, consumers, we really focus on the taste, the price and, um, you know, the good um, intentions that come with it. Um, you know, how are we making it sustainable for the world, right? Um, but we will not focus on, um, you know, um, the, the other part whereby, you know, we are using food, ways and, and so on and so forth uh, whereas for for the licensees we would we would say such things right it is sustainable and raw material costs are very low uh, if not free right because you get all these water and all these raw materials essentially for free because they are really flushing it down the drain every day so um i think it depends to uh, it depends on really who you're speaking to but in terms of consumerism i i don't think that you know pushing a lot about sustainability is the way to go. Um, I think that would that would have to take uh, the back seat. Uh, the front seat would be how we um, emulate a really good um, lifestyle um, and also how we create a really good taste for the consumers to 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 to, to enjoy. That's fascinating. Now, well, uh, just a couple of questions on this um, on taste. Uh, focusing back on your yep. product, uh, Sachi, uh, I've heard it described being described as sake with a fruity tone. Uh, well, how how would you describe to our listeners um, what kind of food go goes very well with it? Uh, do you eat tofu while you drink this, or or something else? Sure. Uh, so I think sachi as a drink is very versatile, right? Um, it to me it tastes like um, a mix between apple cider, moscato, and sakes. Um, but I think there are a lot of different. Um, taste buds out there. So a lot of my friends tell me, oh, it tastes like white wine. Some experts tell me um, it tastes like it tastes like uh, really more like sake. You know, some will, will say, oh, I taste more like a, a cider. So 
really the only way to tell is for you to to try it yourself so i urge more people to go and try sachi when it's out on the shelves um but um with what food it, it it goes well with i think it goes well with most food especially with spicy food right so uh, i'm not talking about really hot spice and everything but more of the heavy food and i think in singapore there are a lot of such things right so uh, if you talk about mala you talk about uh, you know barbecue food um you talk about uh, food with a lot of sauces i think singapore have a lot of this kind of food um sachi is a really great palate cleanser right so um after your food have a drink and then you relieve that taste again because it really cleanses your palate it it doesn't have that you know um astringent taste or you know that um, bad after taste it leaves a very clean palate for you to enjoy your food so i think it goes well with um, a lot of different kinds of food uh well we are we we will be um you know focusing on um coming out with campaigns to see what kind of uh, uh, foods really really go well with sachi as well um but i think that's that's in the future so i urge for more people to try it and to to try from the uh, try for themselves uh really what kind of food uh it goes well with i'm going to get my hands on it eventually hopefully soon sure sure yeah when with, it's uh when it's done with production i'll definitely send you a few bottles for sale <laughs> okay thank you for that thank you for that and there was jonathan ng of sinfutech We just heard his fascinating journey as an entrepreneur. He started from selling exotic pets to now partnering with a schoolmate to roll out the brand new alcoholic beverage out of soybean byproducts. This now brings us to the end of the fourth episode of a Back to the Future podcast. We'll be interviewing founders of innovative businesses across the region. Please join us next week to hear from Jeff Sutoyo of Pintu, a cryptocurrency exchange in Indonesia. He'll be explaining to us what blockchain is all about and discuss the major drivers supporting the cryptocurrencies world. Until then, thank you and goodbye. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.